Good morning, afternoon, and evening, and welcome to the 8311 Cast, your premier Midwestern-based sports podcast, bringing you all things sports to your beautiful ears. Join your hosts, Mike Ludwig, Wyatt Teeter, and special guest host Ariane Barry as we talk to you about college football, college basketball, the NFL, NBA, and of course, our signature segments, Mike's Stupid Rules and Write That Down Predictions, here on episode 157. Iowa State football had more games this year with 3 million or more viewers than Texas. Texas had 8 games on national TV while Iowa State only had 5. The 3 games that were over 3 million views or more for us were the Iowa game, the OU game, and then the the Clemson Bowl game, aka the Underachievers Bowl. Texas' 2 games were uh, OU and Okie State. I love that stat because not only did Texas not make a bowl game, but we also had more games than them with a crap ton of viewers. Yeah, that is good to see. I just love to see the demise of the te- the demise of the Texas football program. Like, is that fun to anybody else or just me? Absolutely. I take a lot of joy in it. It's my favorite thing. I hate Texas more than I hate the University of Iowa. I don't know about you guys. I didn't grow up in Iowa like Wyatt did, but I just hate Texas with all of my heart. I hate Wisconsin more than I hate Iowa. As an Iowa native, I agree with you. I uh, I hate Texas more than I hate Iowa. Iowa is rivals with Minnesota and Iowa State, so I like hate them for two reasons, so that, that puts them above Texas for me, but I definitely do hate Texas. That's fair. And, and, you know, just to add to the implosion of the Big 12 Blue Bloods, Caleb Williams announced today that he's in the transfer portal and is likely transferring from, from OU, so, you know, the switch to the SEC is just working out great for both of them, and we'd love to see it. What wasn't as great to see was um, the the Cheez-It Bowl slash Underachievers Bowl. Um, the Cyclones did lose a, a close game to Clemson um, in that one. Um, didn't quite get the result we wanted, unfortunately. Um, and really, uh, to me, there just wasn't enough offensive firepower for the Cyclones. Um, Clemson won the game 20-13. to um, Iowa State was playing without um, Brees Hall on offense, um, as we talked about in the, the last episode. He decided to opt out of the ball game. Um, Xavier Hutchinson was also extremely limited on offense. Um, he had a, bro- I don't know if it was a broken thumb or a somehow injured thumb, um, so he didn't get many snaps. Um, he did make some impact, but he didn't make uh, uh, make much. And then Colin Newell also missed the game. He injured his foot heal something um, during practice leading up to it. So he also missed the game, and we just weren't able to generate enough um, firepower on offense. And even though we did play good on defense, let's not forget that possibly our best defensive player, we didn't have Mike Rose either. So we were definitely struggling on both sides of the ball, and I feel like we could have pulled it off if we had a full team. Yeah, I mean, Mike Rose hurt too, but... So the question about he only t- he opted out he wasn't hurt he told the team right. but he only told the team a a day before it sounded like that he was opting out like to me that's a bigger pr- I don't if people opt out they opt out you know I'm at, I'm past the point of caring about that in ball games all you need right. to look at is Matt Corral at Old Miss to see why people do it like I totally get it but. Like, tell them far enough in advance that your replacement is practicing with the team in preparation for the ball game, right? Like, did the coaching staff know, or were they prepping for Mike Rose to be the starting middle linebacker until the day before? Yeah, and that's a really important position to not have practicing with your team all week. Right, and granted, uh, you know, Mike Rose did um, miss some games, so it's not like his replacement never saw the field this year. But still, you'd like to you'd like to have seen him got practice. Anyway, so yep, and but really you can't blame the defense either because they only gave up thirteen points, right? Because seven of those None points were on the the pick six that Brock Purdy threw twice. Um, there were some weird plays that happened in this game. Brock Purdy, like I just mentioned on that play, Brock Purdy had a pass deflected that came back to him, and I think I assume he was just trying to bat that down, right? Like yes, but he instead batted it forwards like a like a lot yeah, he like set it like it's a volleyball a sort of yeah. right into the arms of a linebacker who returned it for a touchdown uh that was not good i mean i'm of the opinion that you should just catch that ball if you just go ahead and catch that ball you're probably in better shape because he had some room to run um 
he can be like uh, Garrett Bradbury did for the Vikings yesterday and just run for 20 yards when a deflected pass comes to him. That was kind of fun to see if any of you watch Sunday Night Football. It was the only thing worth watching in Sunday Night Football, but it was kind of fun. Um, anyway, back to the Cyclones. Another weird play was that double pass. Um, Brock Purdy passes it backwards to, was it Noel? I think it was Jalen Noel, right? Who then mm-hmm. threw it downfield to, towards Chase Allen. It got intercepted. And then Chase Allen ran down the defender and punched it out for a fumble and then recovered it. So it would have been Iowa State's ball. But it all got negated because they were called roughing the passer when the wide receiver was the passer. I have never seen roughing the passer get called um, when somebody else besides the quarterback was a passer. That was a unique play um, as well. I think that was all the weird... Was there any other weird plays that I was missing in that bowl game? That was certainly the weirdest one. Yeah, not that I can think of. Yeah, there's just is just some... Wack- that tends to happen in bowl games, though. I will say, the weirdest play I ever saw this year, I think, um, was when I believe we were playing OU, and we were really close to the game, and we stuffed their running back, and then if you remember their quarterback, who I'm blanking on the name of right now, just pulled the ball out and then ran for a first down. You guys remember that? Yeah, that was a, that was in the, the OU-KU game. Oh, OU-KU, yes. I have never seen that before in my life. Yeah, I, that... And it was the smoothest looking thing you've ever seen. I remember watching that game. I was so excited that KU was going to win, and then he just pulls off that magic. Yeah, that was... And he's in the transfer portal now, by the way. He is. He just announced it. He is. We'll see. He did leave open the possibility he's going to stay at OU. He just said he can't talk to anybody else unless he enters the transfer portal. He can always pull himself back out without leaving, but he's just leaving his options open to talk to other teams. But they've already had a quarterback transfer in in the last four hours since he announced he was in the transfer portal. So he's got competition again if he does stay. Um, other things that I, other takeaways that I had for the ball game, um, there were a couple freshmen who were really impressive. That gave me uh, a hope going forward. One of them was uh, Jalen Noel, the wide receiver we mentioned earlier. Uh, he led all of, he led the team in receptions. Um, granted that was only four, but he still had four catches, um, for 54 yards in that game. Um, so that was really good to see, um, that he'll have a bright future. Um, and then Bo Freeler, um, he's a freshman, he's safety. He was filling in for Aishim Young, who transferred. He had a great game, 15 tackles, a quarterback hurry. Um, he was all over the field. Um, it was just, just a really good game. Good day for him, too. Makes me excited to see what he can do um, next year um, when he's going to be that starting safety. Reminds me a lot of Aishim Young, what Aishim Young did as a freshman. So those two players have definitely got me excited. Um, and my last takeaway is that's just a tough way for, uh, the, for it to end for Brock Purdy. Oh, with the other weird play where he ran for the first down and then fumbled it backwards and recovered it behind the line to gain, and that was the end of the game. Yeah, you got to feel bad for him yeah, there. Yeah, like, Brock Purdy, did, he did not play a great game. Um, I won't sugarcoat it. He didn't have a great season. Um, I won't sugarcoat that either, but he is still the best quarterback in Iowa State history, and you do feel bad for him that the career has to, to end like that. Um, it is tough. Um, nothing but the, Wish nothing but the best for, for Brock Purdy. I assume he'll get drafted in the late rounds somewhere. Um, just because he plays quarterback and pretty much every quarterback gets drafted. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, it's just a tough way to see him, see him go out. You would have liked to I'm see it. I'm curious. How, how do you feel both of you guys? How do you feel about Brock Purdy overall? Cause I've been, I've been pretty tough on him while he's been here. He's not my, I don't think he's as good as the fan base does. I think he's still really good, but I don't think he's that good. What do you guys is just now that his career is over, what do you think about him? I mean, I think, I think he's he, he's been great, but um, well, I would probably still categorize him as the best quarterback in, in Iowa State history, but that, that's helped along with the fact sure. that he's had a lot of help uh, from our receiving core as well. We've had some amazing wide receivers the past two years, you know, um, so that, that's certainly helped him out a lot, but all the hate that he's getting, especially after this game, I think it's definitely unwarranted. Uh, there was a lot of angry sure. fans in the no stands, hate. but... He's been a fantastic quarterback, and I think he'll make a great backup in the NFL. 
He is undoubtedly the best quarterback in Iowa State history, but I do think that says more about Iowa State football than it does about Brock Purdy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like when they showed the, they were doing a Matt Campbell graphic and they showed that, you know, Iowa State had only had one Big 12 winning winning season in the Big 12 in the pre-Matt Campbell era. You know, things like that. That's, yeah. so, Iowa State doesn't have a great when history. But no, I, going, when I was looking at the, sorry, going go back to Brock Purdy, he just never seemed it to me. It seemed like his freshman year was his best year. I don't think he ever really got better as his time went on at Iowa State, and I think that's why um, there's a lot of frustration because they saw all that potential as a freshman, and then he was just kind of the same guy the entire time. Which I mean, he, he was really good. Like I said, definitely the best quarterback in Iowa State history, but he never got better. And that was the frustrating part for me. He never seemed to get better. Yeah, and I mean, just looking at quarterbacks that Iowa State has had, I was watching the beginning of that OU bowl game, and they were comparing, uh, shoot, what's his name? Caleb Williams, their quarterback for OU right now, and they just showed other quarterbacks' freshman seasons. And, you know, you have, like, all these crazy quarterbacks on there, Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, Sam Bradford, just first-round picks out anywhere. And then we have Sam Bradford, or sorry, we don't have Sam Bradford. We have uh, Brock Purdy, and that's pretty much it. There's nobody else you can really talk about except for Seneca Wallace. So it's kind of a, a class of his own there. And I actually did a little bit of number crunching because I was curious. For his career, Brock Purdy throws an interception once every 44 and a half passes, basically. One of the best things about Brock Purdy is he's very accurate and he's very uh, he, he has a high completion rating. But if you take that down to bowl games or Big 12 championship games, that number goes to one interception every 25.2 passes. So I always had the opinion that he performs much more poorly in big games than he does in regular games. And that is accurate based on that number, at least. So I I feel like he just didn't perform as well in those moments that mattered as he did and everything else. But I think that just shows that the the challenge was a little bit harder. The teams were a little bit better. And he is a really good quarterback. He is just a really good quarterback. He's not a great quarterback. I don't think he's going to be playing on Sundays unless something terrible happens to whatever team takes him. But I don't know. I, I respect him. He's going to go down as, you know, a hero in Iowa State football folklore. But we just don't have that same class as some of these bigger schools do. Also, I did some uh, some research and fun fact, almost every stat I ran, Brocktober is actually a real thing. His best stats are in October for pretty much everything. Uh, touchdowns per interception is the best in October. Passer ratings, the best in October. Win loss percentage is the best in October. Completion ratio, completion percentage, also the best in October. So kind of crazy. I thought that was kind of a myth, but uh seems to be real. Yeah. It is. It is real. It is a real thing. Huh, wild. It definitely feels like it's a real thing. So nice. Good research. Yeah. What what hasn't been good, um, and at least in my opinion, hasn't been good, is that uh, is the college football playoff. We had two blowouts again in the college football playoff um, with Alabama. I guess not necessarily a blowout. They handled Cincinnati. I don't think. Once that game got into the the second half, I don't think anybody actually thought Cincinnati had a chance. Um, and then um, with with Georgia absolutely smacking down Michigan, that was an mm. absolute smackdown. Um, I was surprised by that. Yeah, I was too. I thought that game would be more competitive, but that was an absolute, absolute smackdown. Pretty much every college football playoff semifinal game has turned into a blowout. Is this is this a problem? And how do we fix it? If so, I think it's a problem. I mean, your supposed best games of the year are just completely irrelevant, basically, right? Because they're, they're no, right they're over by halftime. Is is it? Do you guys think it's a problem? And how could we fix it? I don't know that it's a problem with the playoffs as much as it is an intrinsic problem in how college sports work. The rich get richer every year and the poor get poorer every year. That's how recruiting works. Come here because our system, our program is good, so it just keeps being good. It's a self-sustaining model. There's not much you can do about that unless you're going to change the rules somehow. But I don't see it being a problem with the playoffs. However, 
I just saw an article today that they're going to meet again shortly about a 12-team college football playoff. I don't understand the problem. I don't understand why you would do that. You just said we have a blowout every single time, so we're going to put a worse team up against Alabama? I, I don't I'm know actually, why you would do that. 12 teams is too many. I agree with Mike that this is an issue because it's just not fun to watch. And I think a good solution would not. actually be expanding the playoffs because you have a, more of a chance for that Cinderella team to come through and knock out Alabama, right? Like, it's this isn't the same as basketball by any means. It's a lot harder in football to win a game against an opponent that's just so much better than you, but it's possible, and it's happened. And When's expanding the, last the playoffs... Time we saw a Cinderella team beat Alabama? I mean, Auburn almost beat Alabama this year, and Auburn was bad. That's a rivalry game. Rules don't count that's in rivalry That's true. Games. That's a good point. I say that all the time. It's very true. I don't know, man. 12 teams is too much. I'm down for six. Give the top two teams a bye. That works for me. But 12 teams is ridiculous. And they were also talking about maybe conference champions, the Power 5 groups just getting automatic berths in that. If, if you're a Power 5 team conference champion and you're not good enough to be in the top 12, you don't deserve to be in the playoffs. Sorry, Pac, sorry Pac-12, but that's the way it is. <laughs> Here's a fun fact before this year, um, five schools took up 22 of the 28 college football playoff spots. So I, I think there's some argument for expansion because it's just boring. It's just boring. We know what's going to happen. Bama has six of them. Clemson has six of them. OU has four. OSU has four. Notre Dame has two. We know what we're going to see, right? Bama versus somebody. It happens every year. So maybe opening it up helps, but I honestly just think it's more people to for Bama to stomp on the way and does this extend the season these are college kids they're kids and you're going to put them under that many more games how does that work they can't play 16 games in a year can they so I said that I'm a fan of expanding the playoffs and I didn't necessarily say a 12 team playoff but what I would like to see and I think we've talked about this in years past and it kind of sounds stupid but a six team round robin type tournament for the playoffs where you have the um, champions from each Power 5 conference and then a, a buy-in of some sort from one of the, 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 the G5s, right? And then do a um, kind of like a split round robin, I guess, with these six teams. Because I feel like football is not very conducive to single elimination unless you're in a championship-like series like the FCS or the NFL. So just something different. Some, some type of change from this uh four team playoff single elimination format i think would be really nice to see what does that do to the regular season doesn't matter What's your total games here it would be max no more than what four extra games on top so you split them into two three person round robins because you can't do a six yes. round robin that's five extra games it, it would be two split round robins with three teams and then the and championship. Then a championship game between the two winners. So you add three games there for the champion. Yeah. So basically the same as you'd add in a 12-team playoff. I think oh, that's totally I feel doable. like having them play an NFL season as teenagers and young 20-somethings that maybe aren't going to do this for a living is not worth the chance of injury or brain damage. For me, I think you want to keep these seasons as short as we can. I don't think you want to add too many games, but that's just my opinion. Yeah, I mean, to me, it comes down to what are you trying to determine with the playoff? Are you trying to determine, well, obviously, you're trying to determine who the best team is, right? But for who gets in the playoff, right? Are you trying to pick the best teams, the most qualified teams, or the teams most likely to be the best team? Now, that last one is just a very slight difference, but I think it's an important difference, right? And I feel like the number you need in the playoff depends on which one of those three things you're trying to accomplish. Um, I feel like if you're just trying to find the best team, then I think four is enough. Because as we're seeing, if all the semifinals are blowouts, the best team is, right, you're probably finding the best team. If you're trying to find the most qualified teams, then you want to open it up a little bit. Um, and same thing if you want to find the teams that you think might be the best team because that'll open it up to some of the the group of five or other teams that don't necessarily play these major conference teams that probably aren't better than them but you don't know because you just don't have that crossover 
So that's why I think it depends on what you're trying to accomplish by who you're putting in the playoff, whether you should expand or not. I think it's boring, but I think honestly, we probably are at where we need to be. We won't stay here because the NCAA is going to want more money. So more teams are going to go in it. But I think we're desperately trying to chase the magic of the the NCAA tournament. And we're never going to have 64 teams in there. It's not going to happen with football. And Cinderella upsets don't happen as much as we like to pretend, even in that tournament. It's confirmation bias. It's what we remember. We don't remember all the teams that just got stomped. So it's not going to happen. Like, it's not going to happen like that. So I think we just need to keep it small and basic. Four to six teams. Because what's the point of having a bunch of games? When we just know that Bama's going to win seven out of ten times, eight out of ten times. They've won six out of the last, what, four out of six times or something like that. Recruiting just doesn't lend itself very well in football to a lot of surprises and upsets. That's true. That's true. So, like Ryan said, we're eventually going to go to 12. But for now, um, we're at four and it is what it is. Um over in, in Cyclone basketball land, um, the big, big matchup, much anticipated New Year's Day matchup between Baylor and Iowa State um, happened. And I think for the most part, it was what most of us expected it to be. Baylor is a really, really good team and they beat us. They just played better than, than we did. Um, but I actually was encouraged by um, the Cyclones' performance. they To me, they proved in this performance that they really do belong here on the, the national stage um, with that performance against Baylor. Um, I wasn't sure, just because the schedule had been so weak, so I wasn't sure whether they were for real or not, but this game against Baylor told me that the Cyclones are, are for real. Baylor's better, but I think we all knew that Baylor was better. I was using this game to judge how competitive the Cyclones were with them, and and the Cyclones were very competitive. I mean, it was a couple shots here and there was was the only difference. The Cyclones went one of fourteen from three. Baylor went seven for seventeen from three. Um, Baylor hit a ton of tough mid range jumpers both in the first half and the second half. Um, they just, there's a reason they're the number one team in the nation. They played well. Um, the Cyclone team isn't going to win if a team is shooting that well. The offense just isn't made to compete um, to compete like that. Um, Ariana Wyatt, do you have any other thoughts on that game? Yeah, I mean, like you said, we shot one for 14. This is not an offensive team, and that was an incredible defensive team. So I'm not going to cop out and say, well, you know, if we would have shot 45, 50% from three, we would have won the game. Uh, we're just not going to. This is a defensive identity team, so sometimes we're going to shoot one for 14. It's going to be ugly, but it is what it is. And Iowa State shot 61.5% on two-pointers if you take out those three-pointers. So, like, we were getting quality shots inside, and that's about 8.5% higher than what Baylor shot on the inside. So our defense was good, and they hit a ton. Like you said, I can think of four different shots off the top of my head that I just put my hands on the back of my head. And I was just like, I don't know how that goes in when Baylor hits those shots. So we lost by five. And honestly, I'm super excited about that. If our ceiling as a team right now is losing to five against the number one consensus team in the nation, that's pretty awesome for a team that was considered to be picked last place in the entire Big 12. I think we're way ahead of schedule. And I think it should be a fun year overall. Um, my one concern is, uh, definitely, well, I'll let Wyatt talk, get your opinion first. Do you have the stats pulled up for free throw percentages by chance? Because it felt like to me in this game, we actually shot free throws for once. And that was the biggest change. We did. We shot a ton of free throws in this game. I was talking to Kyle at one point and I said, our best chance at this point is to foul out their team (laughs) and take a bunch of free throws, (laughs) which we almost did. Iowa State went 21 of 27 from the free throw line, 78%. Whereas Baylor only went 10 for 14. 78% is so much better than any of the games we've played so far this season. Um, And seeing a change like that from a team, you know, just seeing improvements, even though these are relatively minor things, brings me a lot of hope. You know, we performed really well against Baylor, and we've been continuing to improve since the beginning of the season. And to me, those two factors together means that we're going to continue to improve the rest of the season. And 
perform, you know, great as a team. Like I've been saying, for a team that I didn't expect anything out of, this is this is a treat. Yeah, I remember we laughed at you when you we you put your uh, Cyclones to the Sweet Sixteen projection or prediction up on the board, Wyatt. And now it seems quite possible. Like at this point, I'm not sure I'd really be surprised if it happened. So I, I'm just as surprised as you. As a, you know, I was laughing along with you with that prediction. So yeah, um, the one problem that I still um, see with this team, and I know Ariane, you and I were talking about this today, and it's Gabe Kalsher. Um, the transfer from Minnesota, he was, I'm just going to say awful against um, Baylor because I think he was. And outside of that one 30-point game, I can't remember if that was against Xavier or Memphis. It was against Memphis. Yeah. Outside of that one game, he just hasn't been good at all all year. He played 25 minutes um, against Baylor. He only took two shots. They were both threes. He missed them both. He only got one rebound, one assist, and three steals, but he turned the ball over six times, all while fouling out. Um, like, to me, if you... I know you've got more stats, Aaron, but to me, if you give those minutes to Kuntz instead of uh, instead of Kalsher, maybe you don't win that game, but I think you've got a better chance. I'm wondering if you got to make that change... Uh, into the into the starting lineup and put in Jackson or Grill or Kuntz to start instead of uh, instead of Kalsher. Yeah, I'll be honest. I mean, I feel like myself, just like a lot of basketball fans, we definitely get locked in on ball watching while we're watching on TV and we watch offense and we don't always watch defense or off ball defense. So I will concede that maybe there is a defensive factor that I'm not grasping that Gabe is doing great on defense all the time. But I feel like Kuntz is also doing great on defense whenever I watch. So I don't understand how his offense, more or less offensive ineptitude, is good enough to offset defense that I don't see actively. Um, I don't I feel like you gotta make a change at some point. Maybe you're just waiting for him to catch up, but we talk about this all the time, Mike, and you say that 30 point game was probably his 30 point game for the season. He gets one every year and then he's just terrible for the rest of the year. And uh, I was just looking at his stats basically since that 30-point game. What has he done since then? It's been seven games since then. He's averaging 6.85 points a game on 31% shooting and 20% three-point rating or three-point shooting. So that's not great. He's getting 2.7 rebounds, three assists, almost two steals a game. And then he's averaging 2.71 fouls and 2.71 turnovers. So I don't see how that makes it okay to keep him on offense. You need to split up those minutes between Kuntz, Grill, Jackson, whoever you want to give it to. We just need to put him at, he's getting 30 some, I think he's averaging 30 minutes a game and he needs to be sitting at 15 until he can prove himself. And we split those minutes over everybody else. He has five games this season that he scored in double digits. He also has five games this season where he has not made a single three pointer. He has three games where he shot over 40% from the field. He also has three games where he did not make a single field goal attempt. So I, I don't know. I'm confused at what is so alluring about him or what makes him something we need to play for that long. I feel like you got to split those minutes up until you feel like he's getting right offensively or he's making those shots you need to make. Because we could use Kuntz in very similar roles and he's even more switchable i feel like than gabe is he's a little bit taller but he can move out to the perimeter i'm just confused at what they're seeing in practice and you know coach tj is obviously much smarter than i am at basketball i'm just like a random dude so i won't act like i don't know what's going on but i'm confused watching it on tv that's for sure yeah yeah we'll see if uh if uh if Coach Otzelberger is more likely to make a starting lineup change than Coach Prohm did, he didn't. Coach Prohm did not change a starting lineup ever. Um, so we'll see if if Otzelberger will make that change or not. But yeah, unless something hap- unless something changes here quick, I think we're going to need to make that change. Give somebody else more minutes. Um, it's rough, and I mean, I I don't see that. I don't. When looking at our starting lineup, there's no reason why we can't put Kuntz in there and still be perfectly fine. We got guards, we got our big, who's basically a center, and slap another forward in there. That feels like a a standard lineup to me, and I don't see why we have any reason not to do it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. We should should do that. But 
Uh, in the aftermath of that Baylor game, we did fall in the polls slightly, which I think makes sense. We fell to number 11. I don't have any complaints there. You lost. You should fall a little bit, even if it was a competitive game to the best team uh, in the nation. Um, was number 41 in the Ken Palm still. Um, they're still not buying our schedule. Um, pretty weak schedule still in the 300s, according to Ken Palm. Um, but 19th in the net rankings, and that's the one that really matters. With a 19 in the net rankings, if we can hang around there, that'll be a, a top five or six seed in the tournament, which gives us a legitimate chance at a Sweet 16 run. So they're doing good, and we'll, we'll keep an eye on them. This next week, um, they will play, I believe it is Texas Tech on uh, Wednesday, and then um, at OU on Saturday. Um, are there two upcoming games? So keep an eye on that um, for the two upcoming games. The schedule doesn't get any easier in this brutal, brutal start to the schedule, brutal first half of January for Iowa State. So we'll keep you informed on next week's episode, what happened this week. Um, moving on to the NFL, um, week 17, which is not the last week of the year um, this season, like it is under normal circumstances. Um, there is 18 weeks this year. Um, but the playoffs are definitely starting to take shape. Tennessee eliminated the Dolphins um, by beating them. The Eagles eliminated the uh, Washington football team and also locked up a playoff spot when Minnesota lost to Green Bay on Sunday night football. Um, the Eagles locked up a spot and eliminated um, the Vikings. Um, the Rams squeaked by Baltimore um, to keep pace with Arizona, who held off the Cowboys in Dallas for a big win. Um, the Bucks and Raiders both won on last-second plays. Uh, the Bucks beating the Jets on a real late touchdown pass. Um, and we'll, we'll get more into that game in a second. And then the Raiders beating the Colts in Indianapolis on a walk-off field goal. Um in one of the more exciting games of the day, KC um, fell to Cincinnati. Um, Joe Burrow again had an incredible um, game. This time it was it was Jamar Chase instead of uh, instead of T Higgins um, who he was throwing to. But is that Baltimore off oh, Baltimore? Excuse me, Cincinnati offense going to be the best offense in the NFL next year? You gotta wonder they're going to be up there uh, when you look at. The Kansas City Chiefs, obviously, their weapons are amazing. But you look at Cincinnati, they got Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Joe Mixon, Joe Burrow. Like, they're legit. Like, they're going to be a problem. And I don't know that anybody saw it. I don't know that anybody saw them coming together as quick as they did. But they're going to be an exciting team to watch for the foreseeable future unless something weird happens. Yeah, they will be. And they've still got a shot now with that win uh, I'll beat an outside shot, but a shot at that number one seed in the AFC um, and the first round by, I believe they have a shot at that um, at that next week. Yeah, a 3% chance, but but still a chance. Um, so, well, the first round by in the NFC was locked up by the Packers by nature of their win over Minnesota and the Cowboys loss. Um, so there's still some stuff to be decided in the playoff picture. Mostly the last, um, the last seed, the last two seeds, excuse me, in the AFC, and then the last seed in the NFC are really what uh, what is still to be decided. The Colts are probably in as the sixth seed um, in the AFC, but the Chargers, Raiders, Ravens, and Steelers um, all uh, could still get involved. And then it's the 49ers or Saints um, competing for that last, um, that seven seed in the NFC. So we'll keep an eye on those matchups next Saturday and Sunday. And we'll do a playoff preview as well in next week's episode of the 8311 cast. Um, the most exciting thing, though, to happen in the, I thought it was the most exciting um, thing to happen in the NFL this year, it sort of happened tangential to the game. And believe it or not, it had to do with Antonio Brown. So for those of you who didn't see it, Antonio Brown got into some sort of argument for some reason in the middle of the game. I don't know who he was arguing with anyway. He was... Uh... From what I saw, it looks like Bruce Arians told him he wanted to go in the game. Uh, allegedly, he told him to get into the game twice. And Antonio Brown said no. 
He said, uh, my ankle feels sore right now. I don't want to get into the game. And they basically said, you get into the game now or you don't get into the game at all. And he said, I'm not getting into the game. Bruce Arians told him, go ahead and get on out. And apparently he decided to get all the way out is what I've heard. Yeah. So he half undressed um, in the middle of the field, left his pad, left his shoulder pads on the sideline, threw his undershirt and gloves into the stands and just ran off the field and left the stadium and, you know, just caught Uber and left. He was just done. Uh, he got cut by the Buccaneers, um, of course. Um, and this is just another thing in the Antonio Brown saga, another thing to add to the list of things football players shouldn't do, courtesy of Antonio Brown. So how how are we gonna put this one on the list, Wyatt? I think I need your help. How are we gonna phrase this one before before we go through? Well, there's a couple points that we could hit on. We could you know play the game when your coach tells you to play the game. Uh, we could have don't take off, don't don't strip on the field when you want to quit. Um, you know what angle do we want to take on this one? Um, I would just say don't quit in the middle of a game. Just in general, don't don't quit your team. In the middle of a game. I don't know. Ariane, do you have any, any suggestions as to what, what we should actually put on the list here? Do you guys remember Vontae Davis? Vaguely. Played for the Colts. He literally quit at the halftime of the game. Uh, like, he just didn't come back. And people were shocked by that. They were like, I don't understand how you quit in the middle of the game. So, like, props to Antonio for just, like, one-upping that. Like, quitting in the middle of the game... Doing a little like crowd pump up, clap, walking across the end zone while both fields are on the team and just leaving. Like, that's amazing. Yeah, I think that, uh, yeah, maybe just don't take off your don't take off your shirt and run across the end zone while your team's playing. And then, yeah, yeah, just don't quit in the middle of the game. I, I like that. Don't don't take off your shirt and run across the end zone while your team is playing. I think we're going to change it up a little bit. Say don't strip and quit. Because that, that rhymes. I like the strip and quit thing. Um, strip and quit. I like that. Don't strip and quit your team, then run across the end zone in the middle of a game. We should we should also touch on the fact that he was insanely close to multiple contract incentives. Yeah, like a I believe he million was dollars worth of incentives. Million dollars. One touchdown, eight receptions, and like... 16 yards something weird but they were all three hundred thirty-three thousand dollars a piece so with him not finishing that game if he would have been in that game he probably would have earned an extra million dollars he walked out on a million dollars which is something only antonio brown could do yes if there's ever a case for cte it's antonio brown it is. that man Vontae's perfect ended that man's career yeah so with that addition to the list of things football players shouldn't do we won't we do the whole list We'll just read you the subsection. It's like a quarter of the list um, that's Antonio Brown related. Wyatt, can you read the quarter of the list that is Antonio Brown related? Of course. Out of our total of 36 items on our official list things football players shouldn't do, AB has eight of them, starting with don't drive over 100 miles per hour in your car. Don't go into a cryogenic chamber without the appropriate footwear. Don't retire from the NFL because you can't wear your favorite protective hat and then come back from the NFL and retire again. Don't put your fine notice on Instagram. Don't call your GM the devil, uh, aka verbally or physically threaten them. Don't post a potentially illegal video of a phone call with your head coach. Don't get your $30 million contract voided. And of course, don't strip and quit your team in the middle of the game. Thank you, Antonio Brown, for making up about a quarter of our things football players shouldn't do. Yes, he has been he has been great. He is the gift that keeps on giving for the things football players shouldn't do. Uh, speaking of gifts, Ian, do you want to tell us uh, what's been going on with the NBA with the big Christmas Day games that uh, were a little bit different this year? I'd love to. Also, strip and quit is a great, that's just a great turn of phrase, and I feel like that should be Antonio Brown's nickname, although I don't know if we'll ever see him again in the league. Um, yeah, there were a lot of COVID issues, even in the holiday games. Uh, we had different people not play and come in. The NBA, as well as the NFL, has been rapidly changing their COVID policies, um, shortening the time that you need to quarantine, at least for the NFL, basically having people self-identify whether or not they're good or not. 
to go at the end of the quarantine period. So I feel like that just shows how hard they're being hit with COVID and they don't even have players to play. So they're just like, hey, man, you good? And if the player says, yeah, yeah, I think I'm good. They're like, oh, great. Get out on the field and let's do that. So it's been challenging. It's hard to even really make a lot of assumptions when you see so many people out. Um, A fun fact here, DeMar DeRozan of the Chicago Bulls is the first player in NBA history to ever hit two game-winning buzzer beaters on consecutive days. Apparently, that has never happened in the NBA before, surprisingly. Also, just to add to the unbreakability of this record, it was technically in two different years, as he did one on the 31st and one on the 1st. I saw a report today that says Clay Thompson may return to action this Sunday versus the Cavs after being out for two years with multiple injuries. So that's very exciting. The Warriors are already first place in the West. So if Clay Thompson can come back at even a decent amount of what he used to be, that's a scary team right there. And we might be seeing the Warriors back in the finals. Um, a couple times ago when I was on here, I said I didn't really trust the Bulls once they got into the playoffs. Uh, the Bulls still look really good, so maybe I'll look stupid for saying that. Uh, the Bulls have pulled into first in the East. They are the real deal, possibly. Uh, the additions that they made this offseason look really good. Two-way people and Alex Caruso and Lonzo Ball. Nikola Vucevic was there for a little bit last season, but he's more in the team now. DeMar DeRozan, not as much two-way, but definitely a leader on that team and obviously a clutch time performer. Not a guy known for threes. But two three-point buzzer beaters in two days is amazing. He has the clutch gene, and there's no doubt about that. So every move they made this offseason seems really smart and intentional. Uh, Clay Thompson would be making his return versus the Cavs. Fun fact about the Cavs, uh, I don't know. They just weren't expected to do that well. People made a lot of fun of them. And their starting lineup, I've always wondered, why don't you just start a bunch of big guys who are pretty mobile? Everybody's going small ball. So reverse that. And they actually have done that. And they've done pretty well. They start Evan Mobley, Laurie Markkinen, Jared Allen at 6'11", 6'11", and 6'10". They're more or less starting three seven-footers. I'd be curious if they can make a good postseason run and do all right. I would watch the heights and lineups of NBA teams. And it'd be interesting to see if they can actually affect any change in this small ball kind of trend that goes on around the league. And then just one other thing. Uh, LeBron recently turned 37, I believe. Uh, If he can keep it up and run it throughout the season, LeBron would currently be the youngest player and the oldest player to ever average 27 in a season. So that's kind of crazy. Just a testament to how great he is since he came to the league and still great now. Um, Other than that, nothing too crazy happening in the NBA. Standings are pretty much the same as last time I came on. So uh, we'll move on after that. Nice. Thank you, Arian, for that update. It is much appreciated. Um, This Mike Stupid Rules um, is going to be a little bit, I won't call it a quiz for Wyatt, but we're going to have Wyatt offer us an explanation because there was something that happened in the Vikings-Packers game, and that was that there was an official who got hurt really early in the game and had to at least temporarily um, leave the field. I don't know if he came back later or not. So Wyatt, what would happen or what happens? How do the duties shift when an official has to leave the field during a game? Well, it kind of depends on what level of football you're talking about. Lower level stuff, um, a lot of these like peewee games and junior varsity games are played with a four-man crew. Um, so you essentially have a referee, the line of scrimmage guys, and then a, um, an umpire. So you don't have the back judge position available. Um, on an eight-man crew, uh, which is what the NCAA uses, you have the referee center judge opposite of the referee, umpire, two line of scrimmage guys, a back judge, and then two uh, side judges that are deep with the back judge. Generally what happens, and I don't have a copy of the NCAA uh, CFO game officials manual, but what I would assume is if there's not a replacement official available on the sideline, like there usually is during bowl games and some um, regular season games, you would switch from an eight-man crew to a seven-man crew and then work with either no center judge or no deep wing, which was those uh, deep line of scrimmage guys back with the back judge. Because really, those are the most useless, I, I guess. You're, you're essentially backing up the back judge with 
um, a wing of fish on either side. So you could probably get rid of one of those. And then the center judge, you might be able to get rid of an NCAA as well uh, if you really wanted to. Um, for the NFL, it's got to be something similar. So they actually run a seven-man crew. They don't have the umpire in a secondary. They have the umpire where the center judge would be for NCAA. So uh, assuming in a regular season they don't have a backup a replacement official available during that game, they would probably switch to six-man crew mechanics, which again would probably not have that deep wing official in there. This is all just kind of guessing because the NCAA and NFL don't post their officials mechanics for um, situations, non-standard situations like this, unlike the uh, NFHS, which does. Uh, you can actually go up and look for those four-man um, crew mechanics if you were so inclined. Awesome. Thank you, Wyatt, for filling us in. I was curious on how they would rotate, um, so I appreciate that insight. What I don't think any of us are going to appreciate is um, this uh, well, this uh, difficult, we'll call it, accountability session that's about to happen. Let's just say it was not, not pretty for pretty much any of us, so we'll just dive right into it. Wyatt predicted that the ISU football would have at least one shutout this year. They did not, so... Nah. Nah. I predicted that the Vikings would make the playoffs. They were eliminated with the loss to the Packers, so nah. Nah. I predicted that Cincinnati would cover against Alabama at minus 13 and a half. They did not do that. It was not even that close. So for that, I get a nah. Nah. Wyatt predicted that Clem that the ISU Clemson bowl game would be decided by more than seven points. It was decided by exactly seven Seven is not more than seven, so for that, Wyatt gets a nah. Nah. Kyle predicted that Iowa State would win the Cheez-It Bowl. They lost, so for that, Kyle gets a nah. 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 Um, in our lone bright spot in this accountability session, I predicted that ISU Baylor would be a top ten, um, a top ten showdown at Houghton Coliseum, and it was with Baylor number one and Iowa State number eight. So ding, 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 ding. Josh predicted um, three weeks ago that Alan Lazard would score three TDs in his next three games. He scored two in his next three games. So for that, he gets a... Um, I predicted a weird thing on last week's episode that the Vikings would go two and one, then miss the playoffs because they'd lose because Kirk would have COVID. Turns out it was just one week too late on the predicting... Kirk would have COVID. Um, he missed this week's game with COVID, and the Vikings were eliminated from the playoffs. But still, I was not specific. Uh, still, this was not covered by my weird situation. So for that, I get a nah, nah, nah. And Arian predicted the Cyclones would lose to Baylor by twenty, but beat Texas Tech by ten. Since we did not lose to Baylor by twenty, regardless of what happens next, this prediction is wrong. So nah, nah. That, that is it for our write-the-down prediction, uh, for our accountability session. We'll put some predictions back on the board and hope they go better. Um, I'm going to lead us off, and I'm going to predict that the SEC wins the college football playoff. Uh, boo. I think we should just cancel the, the playoff game. All right. If we agree to do that, Mike gets this wrong. But uh, what's the line currently on that on that game? Can't be that crazy. Um, the line is Georgia by three. Really? That shocks me. Uh, so I feel like that's probably a toss-up then. Even though we know Alabama's probably going to win. Alabama's going to win. Are they though? There's a decent chance that they don't. So what are we thinking? A double? I think this is this I is a good candidate for a double. Technically, yeah, it's fine. It's a double. If you're using your real person brain, you know it's a single. But by the odds, it's a double. Okay, I will take a double. I will take a double. Do we uh, have anything from Josh this week? Is he still alive? Yeah, he had a good uh, Christmas with his family, but he did not have a prediction this week, so he takes a strikeout per the 83-11 cast. Write that down, rules. So he will take a strikeout. I'm going to put up on the board that Antonio Brown fights Jake Paul in, you know, like some sort of official boxing match or something, you know, televised. when do we take this off the board? That's my question. Like, oh, when is it wrong? So, uh, I don't know. What what kind of leeway do I have here? By the end of 2022? I'll give you well, the whole year if that's what you want. 
Okay, that, that's what I would I say like. give it. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll st- what are the Vegas odds? I'm thinking about giving you a home run you, for this. You mentioned there were Vegas odds on it, Wyatt. What are the Vegas odds? Do you know? I can look. Give me a hot second. Um, yeah, yeah. For what it's worth, what? I did have this prediction as soon as I saw the video of him walking off the uh, the field. So Jake Paul is a three to one favorite, I guess. <laughs> and that's just according to Bet Online, which is the only place that has a line on this. So it's not even really Vegas. <laughs> but but that's the line that uh, for if the fight happens, does it have odds for the fight actually happening? It does not. No. Okay. I mean. It's at least a triple, I'm right? Give, I'm at least give him a home run. I mean, okay, I'm I'm down for a home run for that. All right, home run it is. See, I do not think it's gonna happen. Do anything from Kyle this week? Is he still alive? Yep, he's uh, he's on vacation this week, enjoying some time with his family. Thank you, Arian, for for joining us. Um, hey, no problem. I'm just here to fill in. Yeah. I know Kyle is busy with his very real girlfriend. Yes, yes, Kyle. <laughs> Kyle is predicting a State Farm uh, Super Bowl, uh, a.k.a. Packers versus Chiefs um, in the Super Bowl. Um, Well, those two teams combined have a, let's see, 46% chance to win the Super Bowl. So I'm thinking the fact that we get this exact matchup is probably a double or a triple. What do you guys think? I'm feeling a double here. Yeah, I like that as a double. Double? Double it is? I thought it was going to happen last year, and it didn't happen. No, it didn't. No, it did not. Packers couldn't pull off the end of the deal. What do you got, got? I have the Iowa State men's team, uh, because I I just assume the women will be fine with this prediction. Uh, The Iowa State men's basketball team will be a six seed or higher in the NCAA tournament. And from what I looked up, there's approximately a 36.1% chance of that happening as of today with their loss to Baylor. Just out of curiosity, where did you find those odds? I haven't been able to find a site that gives me those odds. TeamRankings.com. Okay, thank you. Um, I can't say whether they're more positive or more negative than uh, the other sites. I just happened to subscribe to them first. So that's what I get pushed to my email. Yep, that's fine. I I trust them. I'm just curious because I haven't been able to find them. So I'll have to go look. Um. I would say double. That 36% is a double to me. That's yeah. That's... Double in our book. Yep. Yeah. Double it is. So with three doubles, a home run, and a strikeout, that concludes our Write That Down prediction segment, which means we're at the end of the episode. Thank you so much for listening to episode 157. And while you wait for episode 158, make sure you go check out our Twitter at 8311cast and our Instagram at 8311cast. Until next week, signing off for the 8311cast, we have your hosts, Mike Ludwig. Ariam Barry and Wyatt Teeter. Talk to y'all again next week. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones.